Hello and welcome back to How AI Built This. Today's episode of the show is brought to you as always by Cathcart Associates, um, technology recruitment experts headquartered in Edinburgh. If you're looking for work um, or want to know what the market is like um, for hiring, uh, please do give them a call. You won't be disappointed. On the show today, we have Vicky Byram, Head of Solutions Analytics at Merkel Aquila. Um, Merkel Aquila are a real Scottish technology success story. And Vicky has been involved from them being a very small data consultancy startup, essentially, um, all the way to the acquisition by Merkel in 2017 um, and beyond. Ladies and gents, please welcome Vicky to the podcast. First of all, thanks for coming on, Vicky. Really appreciate the time. No problem. We always start on education. Uh, I always explain why, but just because no one seems to have come from the same background in this uh, strange world of data that we uh, find ourselves in. Uh, but you um, went to University of Edinburgh and did a maths and status degree, right? So that's a pretty good grounding for a career in analytics. Yeah, so I, yeah, I've, I've gone the ultimate boring route of being like the maths and stats geek all the way through. So um, yeah, I'm, I, I hire people in my team who've got like really interesting backgrounds that they've been, you know, psychologists or we've had um, uh, people who've been kind of, you know, doing nuclear physics at CERN. But now I'm just maths and stats all the way through, unfortunately. <laughs> no, I, I like that. And I was going to say, did, did you know at the time when you picked that degree that that was going to be something that could kind of potentially set you up into a career of analytics or was it just you really enjoyed both both of those and, uh, and wanted to see where it took you? Yeah, it, it was the the latter. You know, it's kind of one of those the formative your formative years, um, uh, and just a love of maths was instilled in me from from a very wee age. I had um, a fantastic primary school teacher, and she did a lot of experimental teaching methods in maths. And it's kind of quite funny. We were like this tiny little primary school in the middle of nowhere. Um, but the the ten kids that have come out of it, I think about eight of us have gone into some form of analytics. So of this kind of the way that she did her teaching. Um, That's yeah, it's, it's a bit odd. Um, uh, and then, uh, yeah, just had some great tutors at college as well. But I think, you know, initially I had in my head, you know, when you were doing math and stats when I was doing it, because that's when dinosaurs ruled the earth, um, uh, you were doing kind of maths potentially to get into teaching. So it was teaching or accountancy or, you know, if you were incredibly good, you might be able to, to be allowed to be an actuary. And I think it was kind of, that's when, I, I, that was my original thought was probably actuary type space. Um, but luckily, as I was kind of getting into analytics and, and, and starting my kind of like my stats, stats career, then this, this world of analytics kind of just came into view, which was kind of you know, really interesting. So it's kind of a lot less theoretical and a lot more applied. And that, that really kind of appealed to me. Nice. Um, no, that makes sense. And, and I think that's interesting about the teaching part. I mean, I was never going to cut it as a uh, as any sort of statistician or mathematician, but I had an amazing teacher up until a point. And when I stopped having that person, it just like from then on in, my interest just completely waned, um, which is a bit, of a, sh- a bit of a shame. Although I saw the report this week from the Scottish government that they, they're suggesting kind of computer science becomes as important as maths and uh, and those subjects at school, which I think is a yeah. very good idea. But yeah, you mentioned the kind of uh, after uni, uh, kind of the world of analytics kind of opened up a little bit and, yeah. uh, and you decided to go there. So um, you started your career uh, at Deloitte, kind of working in, in risk. Um, we've had a few people on the show who've had either a, a kind of risk background um, or uh, I've worked in a big consultancy um, at the start. Um, quite a lot of them have said it's kind of a good place to start your career in terms of understanding how projects work but also that's so large that it can be quite overwhelming as well i mean how was that as a as a kind of first experience of work 
So I suppose it's, it's maybe a, a little bit more of a rewind. I, I, I got, um, a, again, br- a brilliant placement as the first place to kind of really uh, try out my stats was I worked for the information and statistics division just as a, you know, a, a summer job. It was a great friend of mine um, uh, said, you know, give this, this, this last a try and um, she'll learn some coding very quickly. And uh, I, I went in there and I was, I, I was working in a kind of, it's, it's kind of quite funny now how, how all of these things kind of come in waves. But um, Scotland is, is somewhat unique, or was at the time, um, of being a centralised repository for all of its kind of uh, clinical data records. And we were doing really interesting stuff with researchers where, say, um, for example, someone had done like a clinical study like 10, 15 years ago. And they have probably had some sort of funding for a, a period of outcome to, to see kind of what happened to these people. But then they were kind of seeing it with only kind of longer term impacts. So we were trying to, you know, inverted commas, find these people through probabilistic matching methods and then working out what these outcomes were so it's kind of fascinating pieces of work that we were getting involved with and I I had a a, just a brilliant boss he was just I don't know incredibly supportive and sort of really brought me out my shell Um, I I, I shout out to James Boyd there but he was was absolutely a a, a brilliant person kind of one of these people in your career who's kind of like one of your sponsors and so then after I finished uni I actually went back to work for 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 the ISD again so my my initial kind of grounding in in the world of analytics was actually kind of quite cutting edge stuff that we were doing there even though we might not necessarily been using like the latest technologies but still kind of like that process of the probabilistic matching and actually using proper full hardcore stats to, to to be putting stuff into papers so then I kind of switched over and then you know there was a little bit of me which was I'm not sure whether public sector was completely for me and and I thought, you know, again, I've come from a good university. I need to go and do the, the blue chip type roles. So I kind of went and did Deloitte. And Deloitte was a very different environment. Um, and I, I think it's kind of, like you said, it's kind of some, it's some people it works for them, some people it doesn't. I think for me, it was a really interesting place to work to see how many of business problems kind of are consistent throughout different places they're just kind of slightly called different things um uh, but also there's kind of like how to operate within kind of boardrooms so not necessarily me because I was like you know a graduate coming out but um uh, it, it was to see how that management consultancy was 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 working so that was really interesting for for me however the the analysis side at that time at Deloitte's it wasn't kind of as Deloitte's today's and that was a thing which kind of I really missed and so then that what led me to my next role then at RBS. Yeah, so now we're going to go into that. So you, you spent um, a, kind of, a few years at RBS doing different things, but uh, I've kind of finishing up as customer analytics manager. Yeah. And again, I kind of, not a theme, that's maybe the wrong word, but a few people that I've had on the show have worked in financial services at some point working yeah. on kind of data problems. And, and I think it probably makes sense given that there's so much information at their disposal and there's a lot of kind of potential use cases in financial services and maybe they're one of the first to really have explored it right so uh, did you did you get to do a lot of different things there and kind of have a steer on how they use their data yeah so so the, like you said fs is kind of in my head the granddaddies of big data almost you know because and they were the ones who were actually using it as well i think there's been a lot of other organizations that have collected a lot of data but haven't maybe used it very much in their you know their day-to-day decision making and um, so so yeah it was uh, i i'd gone through so the experience there you know replatforming exercises that you've gone through and data governance and all of the kind of somewhat you know 
people think are, are boring things, but actually, as I'm getting older, these are the things which are fundamentally important and really, really key. And and some kind of data scientists that are coming out now maybe not necessarily have that awareness or consideration. Whereas you know you've you've kind of like worked in these large large organisations and, you, and you've seen this go through. But yeah, we, I, I worked in lots of different areas. Um, I, I kind of. I, I went back to so I'd started my accountancy stuff um, at Deloitte as well, and it was it was some way kind of a nagging. I, I never like not finishing anything. I'm a bit of a complete finisher. So um, and uh, there was an opportunity to go and and work actually within a finance function, but to to carry on my accountancy qualification. And I think another kind of perspective that is kind of given me as an analyst was to be a consumer of, in, of the information that you get from an analytics department. And this is kind of one of the things which, you know, I've, I've, we've taken to Aquila now, which is this idea of data translators. So as an analyst, as I am one myself, I think I can interpret, you know, your problem down to a T and, you know, I'll give you exactly what you want. But the, every time that I got a piece of information, there was just a bit of me that was always, oh, I just, I, I actually, I don't need it like that. I need it like this, or I need it in another way, or I need this extra bit of information. And I maybe didn't kind of brief that person in properly, or it's maybe their interpretation of what I needed was slightly different. And I think, you know, that's until you have been a consumer of information without being able to get access to it, you don't necessarily understand the frustrations of of being that kind of, you know, the end marketing, you know, consultant who's looking at your work or, you know, the the, the um, engineer who's looking at some of your analysis that you've produced. So I think, you know, having having that role, even though it was maybe motivated by me just wanting to finish something else has actually given me another part of my analytical tool set of that interpretation piece, which is really, really key. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. From the, I mean, working at IBS, like you said, they're kind of like the, the, the FS are those kind of great use cases of, of data and I've done it for a long time. How did they kind of split everything up? I mean, you worked in customer analytics, so yeah. was, was you and your team responsible for anything to do with the customer and kind of decisions around them? And was there another team responsible for another part of analytics? Like how did the, how did they split it up at the time? Yeah, so I, I, I'm not in, I'm not close to how it all operates now, but kind of you know there was you know a, an area that was looking at acquisition, there was area that was looking more at profitability, there was area that was looking kind of you know that kind of growth and cross sell at the time, and then retention. Um, so I initially started um, in the credit cards, which was a separate business at the time, um, not now, but kind of it, it did operate as a, a very independent business. So it's kind of it was it was a smaller analytics team, so you're able to to kind of do that sort of sharing um, ideas sharing uh, thoughts and approaches on stuff um uh, uh, kind of a lot probably easier than it is when it starts becoming a, a, a larger team but yeah so it's kind of like it was functionally split up at the time but there was also opportunity for for me to do a lot of risk modeling as well so um i had to convince into risk doing some stuff on basil work for a while um as well and to go through the you know the regulation of that the regulation of um, uh, acquisition marketing as well so i think you know working in these large institutes it, it's the bits of like you know when you talk about being a data scientist or being an analyst it's putting all of these things kind of how it all works in practice and unless you know kind of how the building blocks of an organization really work you don't necessarily know what you're producing is the right thing to be producing so um uh, you know i think it was a fantastic grounding for for um for me as an analyst anyway to get so much exposure into lots of different bits yeah, I was going to ask you that actually. So we'll go into this kind of start of your journey at Aquila in a second. But do you think looking back, 
that having worked in a public sector company at the start or a public sector organization right at the start and then going to Deloitte and working in kind of a really large uh, kind of complex organization, customer facing as well, and then working at RBS and financial services and looking at like data governance and all those things. And, and I suppose there's a slightly different element to RBS because it's like you're, it's people you're dealing with as well. Do you think that helped going into Aquila understanding loads of different stuff rather than maybe if someone's only ever worked in one place before yeah um i i think like i said you you find that sort of uh, the approach that you do to kind of like you know the problem once you've actually framed it in the right way the actual approaches are, are somewhat transferable across different things it's it's there is a comfort to know that kind of what anyone is experiencing in one area there is definitely another business or another organization experiencing something exactly the same somewhere else and um, so at least kind of like that gives you a confidence when you're a consultant like i am in in aquila that you know it, it, it's okay guys you know this you, you aren't alone in this and, and what we're proposing you know when we've implemented and it works you know that then you can honestly say to someone yeah we actually do have the right solution for this yeah no definitely um i, I mean i suppose yeah to to start from the start of uh, your journey into aquila so i think it yeah. was kind of early 2014 right so they'd been going two years maybe not even at the time kind of looking back was it a big risk to go from rbs huge financial services good company kind of stable good benefits to essentially a startup yeah totally but on on the best risks in life were taken you know you can always say that when it's it's worked well when it goes to the floor then you'd have to go and go into therapy but um yeah no it was it, it was it was a risk I, I think I was looking so I've been in you know FS for, for, for quite a while and the you know I think there was a there's a slight sort of tipping point of I can stay here and get kind of comfortable or I can get uncomfortable again and there is a bit of me that I'm I'm, I'm somewhat a person who always likes change so um I, I, it was something that I, I I sought out and I think you know meeting Warwick and John um uh, at the time it was the vision that they sold me was just the thing that kind of really caught my eye and it was this idea of you know getting analytics back into the heart of businesses getting it into that kind of the management consultancy framing of it doing analytics that's kind of really practical pragmatic and, and a real focus on implementation rather than just kind of analytics for analytics sake there was just kind of just some things that when they spoke to me they kind of almost tied all the bits of my background together and it made sense so um it was a it was a fantastic opportunity it was when Aquila was essentially you know it felt like it was run out of a bedroom upstairs in uh, a, a, in in Edinburgh at the time and then we went through a period of like you know massive growth but it's 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 been a fantastic ride to be on. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, it's, I was going to ask you what made your mind up to move, but you've, you've said it there. I mean, I, know, I read a bit about kind of why the guys have set it up and uh, what you just explained there, almost like if you said that now, people would be like, all right, yeah, that makes sense. But like, this is back in 2012 when they set it up and I think they've yeah. thought about it before. And also I think it maybe helps that they've kind of, been involved in this world for a while either as a kind of like consultant themselves or working in fs for example so they've kind of they've kind of seen the problems and slowly come up with this idea that it could be done better um which which is really helpful and you mentioned the kind of rapid growth so i mean for as long as i've been doing this job it seems like aquila have always been hiring um but i think around about when you joined it was pretty much kind of doubling headcount every year or so right 
yeah uh, so i think uh, I, I was employee number 11 or 12 or something like that um, oh really know. wow i'm kind of kind of on the on the low numbers so yeah we went through a period of of um yeah kind of the, the constant hiring and uh, you know Boric and john like bless them there is a reason why they've, they've gone gray they've, they've, they've definitely put the heart and soul <laughs> into this business over the last few years but I, I think what was what was amazing um and it kind of it, almost from inception it was just the diversity of people that we brought in at Aquila. There just all of a sudden seems like such an amazing pot of people to be bringing in. Um, so culturally, we've always been incredibly diverse. And it's it's not something that, you know, we're kind of patting ourselves on the shoulder. Going, oh, guys, aren't we diverse? Aren't we great? Um, it's something it's that happens really naturally and the different backgrounds that people are bringing I think you know it makes it incredibly collaborative and supportive environment which I think that's another thing that was just really key for solidifying me like me in my head thinking have I made the right choice with this startup and it was the idea that like all of us would pitch in together it was all pulling in the same direction to get something done which you know I think like once you get work in a large organization there is a fair amount of politics that anybody kind of has to navigate the way through and sometimes you know it's like guys we are all working for the same you know customer or we are all working for for the same type of outcome and but when you're in a small startup it literally is the case so you know I think it was that level of, of of support with this diverse community it was just such a unique place to be working um uh, and like I said it was just the ideas that were coming and it was I suppose the 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 start of the data science movement from it not being just a purely academic exercise as well there was a lot of uh, young talent that were coming through which you know I, 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 I laugh and say you know it's when I, I was the, with the dinosaurs when I, when I graduated but it, it wasn't that any of these these kind of techniques were were things that were told to us when we were doing our stats degrees um, uh, so it's only kind of uh, bringing these guys on and then finding out about all of the different kind of data science techniques and now obviously ML is a, a massive thing and 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 you, you know it, it's hard to keep up in in a lot of cases on what's out there so it's all of we're relying on all of the you know, guys coming in and everybody brings more and more ideas and more and more approaches to stuff now and I think it's just you know it's that type of um, a collaborative environment which is just it's it's really key and it makes it a really interesting and dynamic place to work for for um, people coming in um, from from their, their their different backgrounds. Nice and I like that you said that I know you were kind of joking, but you said like we don't pat ourselves on the back about being diverse. Like I feel like it probably just happened because you kind of did it right from the start. Like like you said, employee number eleven or twelve, whatever. And then as it kept growing, you just kind of kept doing that. Um, whereas I think what I see quite a lot is kind of customers who maybe get to fifty, sixty, seventy people, and then they're like, oh, we should maybe try and be more diverse as it was too late like you've hired you've hired 50 people like you've kind of made your bed like obviously you can make improvements but it's not like you can it's it's not like you can just flick a switch and you become a more diverse organization so um no i mean it sounds like by creating the right culture and i think that was a really big thing we'll get on to the kind of uh, the merger a couple of years ago but that was a really big thing that i think both guys had said they had been approached loads about potential takeovers mergers whatever you want to say but it didn't kind of feel right with the culture. And I think you can tell that just from anyone I speak to, and we, we did an event with them, um, with Merkel Aquila, I don't even know when it was in there, a couple of years ago, but even in the office, like, and the talk that, that was delivered, you could just kind of tell that the people really enjoy working there. So it sounds like even from when you were there at the start, that's been a big part of it. Did it 
did you even have a chance for it to feel like a startup with how much growth there was in the first couple of years? Like, oh, yeah. Did it just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah lots of, uh, you know, squeaky bum time when it came to uh, uh, paying the bills and stuff at times, you know, as, as always in periods of rapid growth. Um, uh, uh, yeah. There's, you know, processes and procedures, right. What are we doing today? You know, that, that all happens. Of course it does as part of the startup. Um, but it's been, it's, I, I think it's, uh, it's never been in a situation where there's there's been anything that's been catastrophic. So it's been, you know, it's been managed really well all the way through. So Yeah. And looking back now, was that kind of first, I don't know, 12 to 18 months, maybe a little bit longer, was that the kind of like most fast paced kind of enjoyable part of the whole kind of journey up till now, just because everything must have been just so new all the time? Yeah, yeah, that, kind of crazy memories. But I remember kind of there was uh, one point when there were three of us coming back from from a client, and we were all cycling around, and we just sort of like felt like the red hand gang, you know, kind of cycling back from our client back to the office. It's like, is th- is this really working? Um, uh, but it was, you know, and it's just it was, it was a great it was a great community, um, and and still is in my opinion anyway. Nice and. Uh, we didn't really touch on this because I think, well, now you kind of work as head of analytics. But yeah. when you were when you were brought in, what was the idea kind of at the time, uh, and have you pretty much stuck to that, or has the role evolved quite a lot? Oh God, the role is uh, yeah. It, we, you've got to change constantly with what's what the market's looking for as well. So um, yeah, that we've uh, so I w- wasn't brought in as head of analytics. So I was just brought in as a consultant, and it was just kind of you know you, you take on the additional responsibility. But I think kind of I've been um, the, the we, we we call our different teams clans. It's we want to do kind of squads and tribes from Spotify, but we didn't necessarily want to kind of directly replicate that so we called it something different and because we're scottish we called them i was gonna say i I like that more because everyone always talks (laughs) squads and tribes and like no nobody in scotland would ever use either of those words that's what it is yeah um, freedom but uh, so i was a clan chief um and i've got my group of elders and we still kind of call it that and they're my senior management team um and 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 it was this uh, so once i kind of got that position then i was able to kind of shape what i wanted to do with the team and and um uh, bringing kind of that real focus on innovation um and i think you know one of the things that we've been we've been incredibly lucky again it's just making sure that you're bringing in the right talent breaking making sure that they've got the right supportive environments and for them to try try new stuff and sometimes it's a bit of a it can be you know a bit of a risk but you do it in a very controlled way um but we've done a a lot of kind of different and innovative work in different um, fields and and we're, we're lucky to have won quite a few awards for for the work that we've done yeah, I was going to say, this is completely my fault, given that I'm supposed to ask you the correct questions. If people don't know what Aquila Insight were all about when it was that, and obviously now Mark Aquila, um, how would you kind of best explain it? And I don't know if there's anything kind of project-wise you could give an example of uh, kind of some of the work you mentioned about being award-winning as well. Yeah, um, so... It- Essentially, we are an, an, an analytics company. And when I talk about analytics, I'm talking about the big A. So uh, analytics that that incorporates kind of data engineering um, uh, as well. And it also kind of in- includes kind of everything from um, uh, BI insights all the way up to ML and AI, if you want to call it AI, right? So it, it's everything in between. So it's, it's actually what we offer is is um, quite substantial. Um, we were bought by Merkel. Merkel's obviously is, is a marketing performance agency but however 
as part of the the the, the sale and also because we we have pro- proven that it works and the approaches are um uh, fungible even if the data isn't um uh, is that we've been able to work in lots of different sectors so we have worked um some of our work has been in the um oil and gas um uh, industry which we've been doing some really interesting work there with like image recognition so and um, and the image recognition that we're doing isn't necessarily just an academic exercise. You know, it's given something which is in kind of, you know, the laptops of engineers that they're able to go around and, and, and have a look at stuff. You know, it's uh, that I think is, is it, everything that we've done is kind of this, these practical applications of some really cutting edge stuff, I think is, is really interesting, especially, you know, if you've, you've gone and studied um, a data science qualification now, say you've done a master's in data science, you will have done image recognition as part of one of your modules. The chance that you will have a role where you will do image recognition you know it's relatively skinny to be honest and um, so it's actually it's quite cool that you know we're able to bring people into the organization and they're actually doing that as part of their role but you know they could be doing that one day and then the next day they are doing you know like uh, uh, propensity models for for a marketing campaign so they have a real diverse um uh, portfolio that they're they're able to to um, apply their skills to Nice. And uh, I remember, I'm sure it was an oil and gas example when we had our Scott Amell at your uh, amazing office in Edinburgh, which I'm sure you're missing by now. Yeah, we had uh, um, one of the talks and uh, at the time, what I really quite liked was that uh, there's never a kind of doing a fancy project for project's sake. Like you said, there's no there's no point in doing any sort of image recognition work or whatever it might be if you're not if the end client isn't going to be able to use it. Um, And also ideally you'll be able to use that solution again for someone else. So there's no point in making it super fancy or using the most like expensive tool or whatever it might be just for the sake of it. If it's a simple solution, then just provide that, which I quite liked. Yeah, and and that again is is really key because I think uh, and again we've we've maybe sort of gone through the hype cycle now, but you know with the you know data scientists and a, a, a big data AI ML, you know it, there was a lot of buzzwords, and I don't think our industry really showered ourselves in glory by kind of trying to make it like it's this mystical thing. It's it, what we're doing is understanding kind of approaches to data problems to make businesses make better decisions. So what's most important is you're providing that right solution for the question so yes you can do something which is reinforcement learning brilliant knock it out of the park you could do something which is based on um some behavioral trigger data which is just a z- simple one zero if something's happened so you know there, there are there are spectrums in between and there are different different reasons why you would propose different approaches and um, it's all to do with like the client where they are in their their analytical journey themselves um uh, how receptive um the organization is you know there there are some clients that may not have the strongest data foundations but they have been brought into an ai ai hype and they would want the most kind of advanced methods there now we'll talk to them and say well actually possibly you may want to start here rather than starting there but you know i think there's we we will always kind of dispel all of the myths around kind of the the hype to talk to people in in a normal language about what these different approaches can offer you yeah, no, I think that's really important. I mean, I, I've said this stat before in the podcast, but I'm sure there was a study done of like all of the AI companies in the UK and like 80% of them didn't actually do any AI. Like it's just like they want to have that. They want to have that in their title or a .ai domain or whatever it is. Um, and I went to a talk once where one of another consultancy said, um, 
if a customer asks us for a really cool AI project, well, like we we have to say no because it's probably not what you need. Yeah. Um, so no, it sounds like that there's a very similar approach w- w- with you and the team, which I think makes sense. And I suppose if you want people to keep coming back, like delivering value is the most important thing, right? So it doesn't really matter what that solution is as long as it makes kind of sense for the customer at the end of the day. Yeah. And you touched upon the, the kind of acquisition or, or um, uh, merger with Merkel. So I, I remember reading at the time that they, although they're a, like a pretty big name, right, in in the states and yeah. and across across the world, but I think in in Europe and the UK, Aquila with a couple of other companies they acquired that was their kind of first foray into to kind of analytics in Europe, right? So that that must have been kind of big pull for the guys. Yeah. Definitely. Um, uh, so it, I think it was a, it was a pull for, for us for being an interesting acquisition um, for for Merkel, but also for us going into Merkel, they had um, a lot of great established clients, um, which then they were able to. to um, a lot of kind of what Merkel does is is, is set up a lot of the Martech. So um, uh, analytics is almost the magic that happens between the Martech. So, you know, if you put in a new, um, uh, you know, Adobe campaign system, for example, like to, to make that thing sing, then you, if you put some smart analytics behind it, then that can deliver value for your client really quickly. So I think there was a really nice symbiotic relationship um, uh, from from the acquisition. So um, they were able to, to now expand their offering and we were able to get access to some some great clients with some really interesting data problems. How was the actual kind of experience and transition for for I suppose for you, but also the team as well? Was there a te- was there any kind of uncertainty, or was it one of those things where, like you said, it just it just kind of worked? Um, I think because Merkel had done a, a number of acquisitions um, in the UK um, already. I think they had like you know a reasonable track record of like how to do it and do it well, and we were very much kind of you know masters of our own destiny. Um, and it's it's kind of the the integration has been relatively slow, but we are definitely fully part of Merkel. You know, I, I don't think anyone who is kind of joining us now would probably think about the Aquila name. It's definitely a, a you know it's a, a very much a Merkel experience that um, uh, everybody uh, everybody. Joined with now and um, so it's uh, you know it's it as all integrations are there's, there's slight bumps along the way but there there was slight i think it, it's been much more of a kind of like i said it's, it's been a, a beneficial relationship on, on on both sides so we've we've had some really interesting clients um uh, come to to us that we probably would never have even kind of got into the front door of and also we've brought some interesting names and, and, and interesting activity which again you know some of the the work that we did with um another organization on with some robots you know it's kind of like that can be an interesting thing that merkel can say well actually we do some of this interesting stuff as well and this is really cutting edge so i think it's been it's been a um, a, a good a good balanced relationship nice and i think you i hadn't thought about it but having some other acquisitions under the belt probably did help because i've definitely seen examples where like a big organization will buy a smaller company and then try instantly just change like everything yeah. um and it just obviously doesn't work because the reason you wanted to buy them in the first place surely was because of not just the client base but maybe like the culture or the yeah. the technical skills so you wouldn't want to just like scrap all that straight away so yeah it definitely seems like it's been it's been done the right way and then was it around 2017 or maybe even later that you did move office as well 
well, we we moved office on a number of occasions, so actually, yeah, it's, it it started to become a, a um, you know a year rich, and then we'd move. But uh, yeah, we 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 then moved into kind of like our, our Merkel offices um, in twenty seventeen, early twenty eighteen, and yeah, so I think just to have you know just really decent offices office space um it's it's a fantastic environment to work in and also uh, it was nice for us to join the other parts of Merkel you know kind of within Edinburgh because we'd already done it down in our London office our London office had already kind of gone into the Merkel offices um uh, down in St Catherine's Dock um but the Edinburgh office hadn't done that so it it was it was lovely to to um start kind of seeing people from the other parts of the business then within a you know kind of a Merkel environment um rather than us just kind of maybe meeting at clients so yeah, no, that makes sense, and it's definitely one of my favourite offices, and uh, certainly in Edinburgh, maybe maybe anywhere that we've been. Yeah. So no, it's, it's, it makes sense to have everyone under one roof. And I suppose we can't really get away from the, the COVID impact. How has it been, kind of, for you? I suppose as a company, but also from a customer delivery point of view, like has it has it meant anything's changed really, or or something's just being paused? Everything's changed. No. Um, <laughs> kind of everyone's business priorities have completely changed you know so there's there's no getting away from from there's not a single sector that hasn't been impacted by this um apart from maybe well yeah even toilet paper producers uh, their numbers have gone through the roof um but uh, uh, yeah to covid you have you know kind of the negative oil price that we've never seen before you know it's uh, it's it's a data scientist's dream this predicting for a future that's we've never had any data points which have looked anything like this um uh, ever before so it's it's been um an interesting an interesting challenge um we've all been kind of set up to work remotely with each other already because we spend a lot of our time on client site we work with clients so it's actually in some ways kind of quite nice that our clients adopted to the remote working as quickly as they did um and it's you know kind of it, it gives us an, um a chance to, to to work with them how we all work with each other but there is you know i i, I desperately miss the office um uh, myself i desperately miss uh, being able to go and see half of my team down in london as well um which i've not i've just not seen for for, for in person for a while because obviously teams can only only show so many faces at once um <laughs> but um yeah i think kind of from from a from a client perspective i think you know there was there's definitely looking for 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 data to answer this problem you know it's it's more kind of in that scenario planning um uh, and being able to help them in 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 that sense but now we're talking about kind of recovery and how they are recovering and how you use data to help them recover quicker yeah, and it seems like one of the very few positives that's come out of this is companies seem to be more willing to, or they really want to use data to try and help them maybe quicker than they had planned or maybe didn't even really know. Yeah, I think I think kind of like the whole world's attitude to data uh, has changed uh, somewhat with COVID. So even down to um, uh, us all kind of giving our data up to the the government for COVID tracking, you know, I, I doubt a couple of years ago everyone would really be sort of uh, agreeing to that as easily as the, or as quickly as as, as we um, we have done. Um, I also think kind of people's attitude towards this idea of kind of you know the the data models can can how how robust they are and how much that you can rely on them a level we've just had recently um oh. we've got covid uh, and and the um the modeling from there but it's kind of in some ways i think it's it, it's quite good it's it's saying that these things are in a slightly in 
precise science. Um, but however, they are much better than doing nothing. Um, so they're kind of almost giving you a range of values to work with. Because um, I think sometimes where if you've never been involved with anything kind of data or modeling, there's almost an assumption that kind of you would develop some form of algorithm that gives you exactly it. And it isn't. It's kind of you will never get a model that is going to predict something exactly. Otherwise, you have got something wrong with your model. And um, so it's 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 almost kind of um, people's um, uh, perception of of the actual kind of using data and, and the modeling process, I think, has has changed slightly throughout all this as well. Yeah, I actually saw it's a good point. I saw something really interesting about not interesting, but um, that I agreed with around the kind of exam fiasco and that someone had said that everyone seems to be blaming the, the model or the algorithm. And someone made a good point that the algorithm and the model were fine. It was the way it was interpreted or the, the people that decided to make the final decision, yeah. which is probably, I suppose for a company like you, it's uh, it's a perfect story to tell clients. Like, yeah, we can yeah. build you these models and whatever the answer is, you can you can use it as gospel or you can use it to help you kind of inform a decision rather than just expecting it to be like a hundred percent bang on or maybe or maybe how you developed it isn't right but the answer that it gave is still not necessarily wrong yeah it was was trying to get that right steer on it and, and not just blame the fact they used like an algorithm yeah, I think so. There's a, there's a little bit about the data that they used was a bit, but um, I think kind of the 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 data translator part, uh, like I was talking about earlier, that's the thing that's really key is how how you actually turn your business question into a ones and zeros question, and there are several different ways of doing that, and sometimes you can go down the wrong rabbit hole, um, and then you can end up developing a solution which is answering that question fantastically well, but however it doesn't actually work in practice, and the majority of analytical projects fail because of that reason, and it is because it's a data translation issue so there's a wee bit of kind of translating the business problem to, to to the data but then i think there's a bit which kind of like our industry needs to focus on as well is then how we translate what we do then to how it can be applied properly and also the caveats of how it should be applied so again you know blaming blaming the, the analyst in this this particular instance it, it's maybe how they have translated how they can use the model or what it would actually do so it's, it, it might have been a great model but it could only do so much and it's kind of like has that part been lost in translation then when it's up to big gav and he's he's given it the thumbs up and has got all of the insurances that everything was working perfectly and um, it's it's that kind of we need to be better at explaining what our models can and can't do and what's in scope what's out of scope models aren't going to ever replace a human being but they can do decision making at scale which no human could do so it's it's kind of weighing up those two things really yeah no exactly and just i've got two more questions for you or not one's not really a question but um you are involved in the kind of steering committee for the ai strategy for scotland right so um we've had a couple of people on um katie uh, and brian and i think it's been pushed back right but what is uh, kind of what's your involvement uh, in that yeah, um, so part of the, the steering committee um, in general and then the area of focus that I'm looking at is the uh, the skills uh, skills development side of things. So what skills does Scotland need um, as as, uh, as a whole to, to kind of help that um, AI ecosystem thrive? Um, and yeah, so that's where I, I've been working on that particular work stream. Nice. And is that just kind of like looking at the skills that it needs just now, but also in the future to kind of like keep the the progression going? So obviously we have a pretty good reputation, I think, from a university point of view and, and kind of skills uh, generally. But is it trying to make sure that we stay ahead of that? 
Well, it's, it's everything really from down to kind of the citizen, you know, so, so citizens are, are, um, recipients of AI decisions. Um, if they have no understanding about how any of this works in the background, how do they challenge it? How do they understand whether it's a good decision, bad decision? If it's not immediately obvious, how do we educate citizens to, to have that almost, you know, I, I, I've classed it as everybody knows a bit of first aid. It kind of almost needs to have that level of kind of understanding. We all know roughly what an algorithm is and and how to challenge it potentially. Um, and then it goes all the way through from from then how are we incorporating, like you said, more computer science and data science then within schools and then um, our universities are in in Scotland in particular are. are unbelievably world leaders and it really really upsets me that no one kind of well I'm not saying that no one knows about it but we aren't like screaming from 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 the the, the mountains about how how good we are and the, the the type of talent that we're producing so it's kind of Scotland's always my favorite part for picking for for graduate recruitment anyway um and and I I kind of think it's 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 that is then how we get the 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 talent that comes through how we're keeping and retaining that talent and then almost kind of how businesses are adopting it as well so what is the skills that are needed within kind of general business understanding again just like people understand finance and they understand hr there has to be kind of like a some kind of gateway where they're able to unlock ai and how ai can potentially help their organization so it's the skills needed for that as well so there's a massive spectrum on on this so uh, you know you, you take your hat off a lot of the times when people are in government it's it's a tough job <laughs> and, and Kate Forbes you know bless her she, it's it's uh, yeah it's a tough job <laughs> and she's got that on top of being like you know the the cabinet secretary as well so it's kind of it's 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 re- it's it's a fascinating piece but I think there is a, a real chance and opportunity um to rival um a lot of other kind of locations around the world for for being a real niche um hub for some really amazing things that come out of AI whether it's you know our ethical frameworks that we will um uh, be able to to establish or you know it's almost kind of the the um rubber stamping of ai developed in scotland and it kind of comes with that notion of it's trustworthy and it's you know it's 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 available to 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 every citizen you know it's kind of there are elements of of that which is very aspirational but i think um are, are are potentially within our grasp yeah, no, I mean, you hit the nail on the head with the university thing, but also like when I tell people that uh, I work in technology recruitment, they're like, oh, like, is there a lot of technology in Scotland? I'm just like, yes. Yeah, um, robotics but- and everything. It's just, it's, it's, it's an amazing hotbed. And I think this, there is loads of really good collaboration here as well. Um, and I think, you know, because we're a bit of a small nation, there's a bit of that, which is part of our DNA, you know, kind of Scotland and the Enlightenment there is there is something here which is kind of we can drive drive the world should we wish to um uh, and it's just kind of yeah making sure we've we're, we're taking the opportunity to grasp the nettle no I can't wait to see what what comes from it initially and then obviously in the future as well um and then just lastly my uh my favorite topic of recruitment. So you have been involved in kind of crazy growth at Aquila. I'm sure you hired um, a few people at RBS as well. Do you have anything that you've kind of learned? And also, interestingly, you mentioned having an amazing math teacher um, back at primary school, but then also an amazing amazing boss when you were doing your first kind of internship as well. Um, So I'm sure they've kind of played a part in some of this, but do you have any kind of like tips when it comes to to building a really high performing, I was going to say data team, but it doesn't really have to be a data team, just a team. 
Yeah. Um, so data teams, I'll, I'll, I'll stick to because they're the ones I, I know and I've, I have built. Um, but I think kind of uh, there's a bit there's a bit of kind of academic prowess and and we, we will always kind of look for a certain level of, of you know, kind of academic accomplishment. Um, I think having a, a, a good, strong statsy type background or at least if you've done the data science background you haven't done it with just a I have been taught to run lots and lots of different algorithms point of view you actually really understand what's going on underneath the hood I think that for me is always kind of like key for our recruitment um, uh, I like people from lots of different diverse backgrounds um, and people who are kind of the creative analysts they're the unicorns um, and I, you can almost like soon as someone's in they've they've said about two or three things you know whether they're the creative unicorns and I, I love that as part of the interview process it's the thing that always kind of gives me a, like a real buzz but it's it's how people have um uh, applied kind of different approaches to problems because you can be taught how to do a great propensity model you can't necessarily be taught how to to apply um uh, a a particular you know kind of uh uh, and, and, and SVM to a, another completely ob- abstract concept, which will take you from point A to point B in a large decision making uh, process. But people, when they've done that or the ways that they have have um, uh, apply different methods, then that's the thing that kind of always shines to me. And it's just like, oh, I like these people. They've got they've got they've just got the right type of attitude for problem solving. So I think kind of trying I, I don't need people to reel off how much they've done. It's how they've applied it. Um, and that's the thing that always kind of interests me and being that friendly personable you know Neil who's RMD has said that you know anyone in Aquila is is uh, or, or Merkel Analytics as it is now is you know you will you take them out for a beer you, you'd be more than happy to sit and have a good old chin wag with them so we're all kind of somewhat bubbly we're all very very chatty um, uh, and and it's it's having that type of um, personality traits as well I think are, are really key especially with this data translating you need to be able to talk to people yeah, and I suppose even more so given that you spend so much time on customer site as well. Like you need to be able to talk to fellow like data enthusiasts, but also people that like you need to really break it down simple terms for them, right? Yeah, and it's it's it's, it's banging the analytics drum again is another thing which uh, I talk to my team about. Of it's we all kind of think logic will always uh, win the argument, and it's it's not. It's the it is unfortunately hearts and minds. So it's kind of telling them, telling them again, and then telling them again. And it's 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 trying to get that kind of rhythm of when you're doing your presentations that it all comes back to things people know before you're taking big jumps off into something into the unknown bring it back to what they know take them somewhere else bring it back to what they know um, and that's that's always kind of like you know it's a it's a it's a good way to kind of keep people engaged yeah no i, I agree all right fantastic well thank you very much for joining i really do appreciate the time um, when we get everything posted i'll make sure i tag the merkel page right. uh, obviously link to your profile if anyone wants to follow up and have a chat about anything we've talked about and i mean yeah thanks again for joining yeah no worries Liam. nice to nice to meet you that was another really good, really good chat. I think super interesting to hear um, kind of Vicky's take on moving into the startup world. Really believing what um, the team were trying to do, and essentially being a huge part of that all the way through to to today, uh, and also hearing how they've adapted to COVID. 
and some of the challenges just kind of being in that space of hiring data people at scale. So really enjoyed chatting to Vicky. I uh, thought it's just another example of a great Scottish technology company doing really interesting work in data. So really appreciate her time. Uh, thank you to Cathcart Associates for continuing to sponsor the show. And of course, thank you to you for listening. And until next time, I'll see you later. Bye.